The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it is time for our Friday Forum, and I'm joined by David Cullinan, TD for Waterford, Sinn Fein Health Spokesperson, by Emer Higgins, TD for Dublin Midwest, and the Finnegale Spokesperson on Social Media, Fintech and Housing, and the editor of the journal.ie, Sinead O'Carroll. Good morning, and welcome uh, to you both, uh, or to you all, I should say, two TDs and one independent voice in <laughs> Sinead. Now, uh, let's uh, start today's proceedings, uh, David, with uh, the looming eviction ban. I mean, you made a lot of running in your party uh, against this happening, but it is happening. It is happening and I think it's shameful that it is happening. So tomorrow is the start of it and it will happen right up to June when the full ban will be uh, lifted, the full extent of it. And already uh, we have had lots of people contact my constituency office. And I would imagine TDs from all parties are being contacted by people who already were served notices to quit but now will come into effect. So we know there's 5,000 looming, 3,000 of those will fall on the 1st of April. And the government say that there are options and alternatives for, for those uh, people and that's simply not true. We know that the vast majority of people are fishing in the private rented sector. We don't have the volume of social and affordable homes that we need. Many people have to access HAP and and those type of... um supports to access accommodation. We know the private rented sector at the moment, there isn't enough properties uh, and there isn't enough supply for the demand that's there as it is. So I don't believe that the supports are there. The tenant in situ purchase scheme is not being ramped up. Uh, I spoke to the CEO of the council in Waterford and uh, I don't believe that he has the capacity and his team has the capacity to be able so to meet So what do you think is going to issues. happen, uh, David? Do you think that people will, what they call, hold over, that they won't leave? That's possible in, in some circumstances, although obviously people will have to look at the, the legal aspects of that and, and that's a judgment that people will make themselves. I think it would have been far better if the state and the government and the department put in place the alternatives. We had a bit of breathing space when the ban was in place and simply put the alternatives which should have been put in place then were not put in place. This government failed to meet its social and affordable housing targets by 1,500 homes this year. That's a lot of homes that do, could Do you believe um, that any of the landlords will simply say, OK, I have my eviction order um, but I'm not going to throw people out on the street I'm just going to because I have it and there's no eviction ban now going forward uh, yours would have expired on the 31st of January um, were you in power and put that in place uh, so um, what many, do I say Pat to uh, but how many landlords will actually say that do you think I'm not really going to turf you out in the street Will well, obviously, that? if there's notices to quit they have an intent and that's no comfort to people who will get the notice to quit so I had one young lady contact me recently who has three children. She lives on her own and she is absolutely terrified because she has been looking now for months. She knew this was coming. Uh, She's been looking for alternative accommodation in Watford. She can't find it. I've had lots of people contact me and even outside of the eviction ban, people looking for private rented accommodation. I'm on to letting agencies. They are simply not there. So what do I say to that lady and all the others who are contacting me? Where do they go? And they are terrified Pat, because to put a roof over yeah. the heads of your children Sinead, is the first thing you want your, to do. Your, I think your question um, gets to the heart of something there. I think there will be landlords who see the current climate and who might want to do something else with their property w- w- will feel I'm not going to move on, on that family because I don't want to be part of this uh, I conversation. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person. And there's a lot of people out there who I'm sure will feel that. The problem is, and I've been in this situation before, I'm sure everyone who's rented before, you shouldn't be at the behest of of a kind landlord and it is amazing when you have a kind landlord mm-hmm. and it is amazing when you have a landlord who does the work that they're meant to do but that shouldn't be 
a yeah. choice. It should be a. It should be something that is regulated and necessary. But one of the issues in terms the of the flight of landlords was that that kind landlord who kept the rent low suddenly they were subjected to a rent, a rent pressure zone restriction, which meant that when the tenant left in the, you know, they got a, their own house or whatever, they were stuck with a, pr- a property that was way off market rent. And they had been generous to their client because they were great tenants. They never gave a moment's trouble. So the landlord never put up the rent in even in line with inflation. Yeah, I think there was uh, some talk of that. And I'm sure there are landlords who were in that situation. And that is one of the reasons they left. But there's never one reason why 43,000 people do something. And I think there was uh, probably less talk about the ageing population of the landlord. So if you look at uh, RTB figures, landlords who are over 65 jump from 17% to 22% um, in five years. So that's 22% of landlords being over 65. More than likely, they want their pension pot and they can sell their houses now for a very significant pension pot. So right. I think there's some just natural attrition and it's not being replaced because people of the age that they were when they were buying their properties can't even get one property now, never mind a second investment buy to rent property. Yeah, But also, is there a climate where in the uncertainty about property ownership and, uh, you know, the right to sell your own property in time, that those doubts would prevent people from putting their money into that kind of investment rather than you know, putting it at the post office. I don't think so because the age of people who became these accidental mom and pop landlords in the early 2000s when they became are the age of people now who David is seeing in his constituency office who can't buy one home. So it's just not possible for people who are in or around my age to buy a second home, whereas that no, what was I, happening what I'm saying in the early 2000s. There always so have been those people who have the resources to buy second and third and fourth and fifth properties. Are they likely to go into property rental if they have spare cash or would they put their cash somewhere else? Yeah, I, th- I think there are fewer of those people because houses are in such short supply. Mm. So, but I also think I'm that talking about the small builders, you know, maybe yeah. killing on the last estate or the small business person who is making a bit of money. Property is still seen as the place to put your money in Ireland. And I think that's because we see mm. it as, as, a, as Imer, a pension pot. Imer, where are the people that David refers to? Where are they going to go? Yeah, well, I suppose just to speak to those people who who have an eviction notice, the first thing to do really is to link them with your local authority. If you are a tenant who is veiling of a David is saying in his case, the local authority are saying we can do nothing for you. Well, that's not the case. It's certainly in my local authority and and in the local authorities that I'm talking to. um, If you're on HAP or if you're on RAS, um, which are the state supports for people who are renting in in social housing situations who are on lists, um, local authorities now have the funding to purchase your home with you in situ um, and, and rent it back to you. And that becomes but how long part does that of the take? housing stock. I mean, Dublin City Council, although uh, Sinn Féin, it, I think we're talking during the week, only seven properties, etc. Dublin City Council say there are hundreds of properties, but they're in the conveyancing process, which is long and tedious. So but Pat, it, that's the exact same as if that landlord was to rent to, to or was to sell to another individual. They still have to go through all of that legal but, stuff. But they is still it going have to, go to be the same? Conveyance. Because people want to get the best price. So are they going to get the best price in that situation? They are. And the reason they are is because they're actually saving. When you think of it, somebody is renting right up until the last moment that they own the property and they're saving on fees in terms of estate agents and legal fees. There is one report uh, about uh, it's from Kilkenny County Council where they're saying that uh, landlords are demanding more than the market price for their properties. Yeah, now the department isn't saying that to us. Um, And the minister didn't say it this morning. But still, that's one report from. uh, Yeah, and listen, one example of that is one too many, but unfortunately, there are always going to be one or two. Too bad players so in any market. 
is your local council saying to people? Where are they putting people who might face eviction uh, from tomorrow? They're, pur- they're purchasing those homes. Like I've a number of cases where there's there's ongoing negotiations happening where people have been told, yes, we're going to purchase that home for you, and they're going to stay in situ. And then for the private tenant, so that's somebody who's not getting HAPA RAS. And um, there's also two new schemes that have been introduced for them. The first is the first refusal, um, which is the option if they themselves are in the market of purchasing and some people go from rent to purchase that they can have first refusal on the property and avail of the shared equity scheme to help them afford to do so. And if they're not in a position to afford it, then there is this new scheme too, where um, through again your local authority and eventually it will be through the approved housing body, they will purchase that home and rent it back to you at a cost okay. rental. David, why well, you would think that was are a, they not doing it yeah, more? And you would think that was a perfect world, wouldn't you? And everyone is going to get sorted out. That's just people not the reality. People will get sorted. You can't deny so, that. So what's happening, what's happening not, in Waterford, that's not, David? That's not the reality. Like, is it, the council not buying stuff in it, Waterford? It's not just Waterford, it's everywhere. So no, but I mean, problem, you can, I can, talk, I can talk to about Waterford. Because you've yeah. given us a, a quotation of a yeah. woman with three kids in your constituency who has this problem. So the, the council problem, can't buy for her. The first problem is that the council doesn't have the staff it needs and doesn't have the resources to actually inspect the homes. Because if the council is going to purchase a property, they have to purchase the property at market value. It has to be assessed. All of that work has to be done. Some of the properties will not be up to standard and the council simply won't buy them for that reason. So there's all sorts of reasons. Some they will buy, some they will not. The problem is that we have far too many people in the private rented sector. So you talked about how do we regulate the private rented sector. The reason why we have really high rents is because the vast majority of people who have a social housing need are actually having that need met through the private rented sector because we're not building social and affordable homes. If you have a government that hasn't even reached its own very low targets and and didn't reach them by 1500, that adds more pressures on the private rented sector. So it's not true to say that everybody will have a solution. If someone comes into my office, Pat, I will genuinely seek to resolve the problem for them. So in the case of that lady or anybody else, and there's dozens of them, and we're dealing with hundreds of cases right across the state, I will contact the council, ask them will they purchase, try and help them find alternative private rented accommodation. But everybody knows, anybody that lives in Dublin especially knows, if there's a house or an apartment for rent, there's 50, sometimes 100 people going to view. It's hugely a pressurised situation and I heard some government representatives say you can't equate a notice to quit with an eviction I can tell you yeah. Pat if you get a letter in the door or an email that a notice to quit is coming and you have to go into that rat race of trying to find alternative sure. accommodation but I, I'm it's wondering, I'm wondering uh, whether you give the government any credit at all for you know 70,000 at least Ukrainian refugees came in and have been, for better or worse, housed either at the lowest end of things in tents, at the highest end of things in fairly fine hotels, and lots of things in between in, you know, private rooms and houses that were made available. You know, a lot of people have been accommodated. But can, but I, so yes, so but, but do you can give I say, them no credit for But, but you know, can I that? say, Pat, that I think it would be dangerous to equate what is a housing crisis at the moment and an eviction ban that's looming with people who've come from Ukraine who've been housed mainly in hotels and not in private no, rented accommodation. The point I'm trying to make is a very simple Of course I welcome that the fact if, if, that people If they weren't in those hotels, the councils, their immediate solution, as it has been in the past, is to put people then, in hotels. But, uh, no, I don't, I, I don't think the that's a fair comparison. Yeah, this is the frustrating part about if you just look at the private rental sector, sector and how little has been done over the past 10 years where we've had numerous pinch points and numerous knowledge of those pinch points, pinch points and what's created 
reading them that something like an eviction ban, this talking point has become so big because something as simple and it's not as strange as, as landlords make it out because it happens in most European countries is no fault evictions should not happen. If someone is in, in their home because your rented house becomes your home or your rented apartment becomes your home, if you're there for two years in most European, in a lot of European countries, a landlord can't evict you for no reason because it is your home. Yeah. That is something that could have been introduced over the no, last we, two, we d- five, we ten We talked years. to a woman in Hamburg, an Irish woman living there, and she said, you know, they can, if they need the house for themselves, for example, uh, get people to leave, give notice to quit. So uh, very similar to our own situation here, where if you needed a, a house for a son or a daughter or an apartment or whatever, or if you desperately needed to sell because you were in, in dire straits, in those countries too, there are exceptions there to those blanket rules. There are exceptions, but here there's, there is absolutely a free-for-all. So there are some things that could have happened. And just the idea that it becomes your home, you have a lot more rights, whereas the balancing of rights here always seems to land on the landlord's side I accept, rather Pat, than that the every problem, side. every problem is complex. And of course the housing situation is complex, but we've been talking about the housing crisis for 10 years. It's really frustrating for people when we, for example, for a long number of years have been saying to the government, use public land to build public housing. We then have a report from the Land Development Agency, which actually cites multiple sites many of them are my own constituency that haven't been used to build public housing. It's only now four or five years after the Land Development Agency was established. They say, well, we could have actually built 60,000 homes. Can, can anyone That's explain failure, to me, um, uh, maybe in Waterford, I don't know, who controls Waterford County Council? Which parties? Is it Fine Gael and Well, if, Fianna Fianna and, and this is one of those things that Fine Gael will throw at Sinn Féin, you're objecting to housing. We don't. We by the way, lost a lot of councillors in the last election. All of the councils are controlled by Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Sometimes with Labour and the Greens, it certainly isn't Sinn Féin. I'm just so it's not our where, problem that the local authorities are not the building. loss of appetite for the councils to build it's capacity, their own. It's skills that were that were taken out during the Celtic Tiger season when uh, or, or, or time when the uh, local authorities stopped building housing and, and depended why, on the part And fives. that's why we need public-private partnerships. That's why we need we local need public authorities. Housing and public that's land. why we need local authorities to go into partnership with construction companies who can build at scale to budget to timelines. That's what we need right across the country. And that's I know ideologically that's something Sinn Féin isn't in agreement with, but I think that's what's ha- that's what we need. And that is what's happening. But, uh, 6, I, I'm 000. not sure that Sinn Féin, and maybe you can speak to this, David, that you're advocating that the councils all employ hordes of building workers. You're still talking about employing Absolutely. builders to do the job. And, and by you? the way, I'm not opposed to public-private partnerships at all. What Many I want of your is, colleagues I, are. I'm not. What, I, what, what we're in favour of is affordable homes. Many of those public-private partnerships have built homes which are simply not affordable. If you're telling me that five, six hundred thousand euro no. for an apartment or a home in Dublin is affordable for the people I represent, it certainly is not. So I want affordable homes. And the first priority has to be, which the Land Development Agency has now signposted, 60,000 homes can and should be built on public land. That would take yeah. huge I, pressure I, off the system. I looked at that the report in a superficial way and there are some things they say, Irish horse racing land at Leopardstown, for example, Indeed. the Cunningham Road garage. The Cun- yeah, there's, y- there's y- a lot there that's y- not going to happen. Y- you wonder ever. whether that's the right thing. When we're talking about public transport being king over the next while, that you yes. take out a valuable resource for What for that Bus report Alclea. sets up is fights between state bodies about the, the yeah. use of that land. Anyway, look, look we'll park all that because we ventilated this issue a lot during the week but the big one I suppose that dominated the later part of the week was the uh, report on the Defence Forces Sinead your take on this Yeah so we heard it was um, you know something that we heard from the Women and Honour Women of Honour documentary. So I don't think anything was a surprise to people about the the bullying, the treatment. But I think some of the lines around like women were barely tolerated, you know, actually kind of 
impacted you viscerally? Like the the idea that most of the women within the organisation felt like they were barely tolerated. And that is not a historic issue. Um, I think all military uh, outfits have these kind of issues, so I don't think it's a surprise. Um, I think, yeah, what is surprising is even after all of the airing of the issues since 2002, that it still remained a problem. Justine McCarthy was writing in the Irish Times today about how it's just a snapshot of Ireland and she um, listed all of the the violence and all of the misogyny that you read in one newspaper reading um, and how we actually haven't changed from, she was saying, from 1984 in the year of Anne Lovett and but the Perry Babies. I, I mean, we I, I was thinking in, about in this, as much as we whether have. the Gardaí, because they got their, uh, they used to be called Bangardi, they're not called mm. that anymore, but they got females in the force earlier than the army got uh, females in the force. And I'm wondering you know, is that that culture of misogyny hasn't been worked out yet out of the defence forces because of, if you like, a continuity of attitude. A continuity of attitude and then obviously not being able to place people in positions of authority and power in a in a way that they need to be to, to ensure that there is more equality and equity happening. Um, but also there's there's problems not just with misogyny. It's it's across the board. There's a lot of men who spoke to, mm-hmm. to the independent review as well about the treatment that they had. So um, it's a it's a real problem that we need a statutory inquiry to work this out because they have very rarely been successful before, but it absolutely is the only yeah, way Amber? to do it. It's part of the way to do it, but I think, uh, and I was really heartened to see that external oversight body being talked about, because to me, we actually do need external oversight here too. Um, like the content of the reports, it's just shocking. It's completely and utterly appalling. Like bullying, discrimination, harassment, sexual harassment, assault, sexual assault, widespread. Like that's frightening. But, and it exposes a culture that needs to be taken on he- head on. And um, we have the statutory inquiry that's cases in the British Army we've seen cases in the American Army we've even seen movies about it uh, you know so it is part of it seems army cultures where women are uh, you know laterally coming into the forces even in great numbers like in the United States that maybe this this kind of boys only thing works is is prevalent in militaries all over the place. Uh, it has to change. That's the bottom line. I mean, the Israeli it's military might be different. They've had conscription of women for True. forever, uh, but in most armies, maybe that is a, a pervasive attitude. Yeah, I was speaking with um, an assistant secretary from NATO um, about this on Tuesday, and she said it's in every single military. So it definitely is. But as Justine was saying, and it's also in society. So it's a snapshot, and and then emphasised and amplified in militaries. But I think one of the things that we shouldn't forget either is that even though we knew this was happening in Britain, we knew it was happening in the US, we know what's happening in militaries. There was awareness in 2002. Ministers for Defence were aware of what was happening. What brought this to a head was journalism, was Katie Hannan, was a documentary, was victims being willing to publicly share their stories. That is a shame that in 2023 that the system, that the establishment didn't figure out how to do something about this without it having to go, without all of these people having to go public with it. So I think that's where some of the cynicism 
about how this will be dealt with is is David, understandable. I, yeah, I first of all want to commend the women for coming forward in the first place and their bravery and courage and they are women of honour. I don't believe, Pat, that we can in any way excuse what happened simply because it was the military and there may be a history and a culture of, of what happens in, in military across the world. But there can be no excuse for gender violence and exactly. harassment in any workplace. And I think that culture and that attitude that men might have, for example, has to change. So men have to give leadership. We should have give to honourable mention to Tom Clonan, by the way, for absolutely his. And, and Katie Hannan, and, but particularly the women themselves, because it was absolutely horrific what we heard from many of those women, their experience. Many of them had their lives absolutely destroyed, absolutely destroyed. And I think that's unacceptable for them to have that experience. They were women that were coming forward to serve their country and look how they were treated. And the report didn't pull its punches in relation to any of that. And I accept what the chief of staff of the Defence Forces has said. He said it brought shame on the organisation. He wants change. We want timeframes now in terms Mm -hmm. of the statutory inquiry. But the the problem also is this kind of report will deter many women from joining. Say, who'd want to join an organisation? And yet you need more women in order to change the culture. Yeah, and and when you... Mention people like Tom Clonan. Tom Clonan was treated abysmally when he did his initial reports and told the Defence Forces this is happening. And Mm -hmm. that was a long, long time ago. And he was, you know, he's still looking for an apology. He has been acknowledged by the Defence Forces for the work that he has done, but he hasn't been apologised to. So these things are all all important when you're actually trying to convince people that you're changing. Cahill Berry made Mm -hmm. the point yesterday in the doll that the the military takes criticism very badly Mm -hmm. and that criticism should not be seen as being anti-patriotic which he said it is at the moment. Finally Donald Trump, do you feel sorry for him David? No, I I don't I don't like Donald Trump, I don't like his politics Um, I think it was inevitable at some point that he was going to be indicted because I think there was four different uh, multiple Mm. multiple possibilities of indictment Um, what impact it will have on on the next election campaign in the the US, I have no idea Yeah, listen, I mean Donald Trump has done untold damage to the body politic, to media, to transparency to society when you look at the rioting as well that he instigated Um, It sounds like all of this is going to happen on Tuesday He's going to be fingerprinted, he's going to be mugshotted those images are going to be blasted right across the globe. I don't feel, right I don't feel sorry for Donald Trump, but I feel sorry for Americans because this this is a process that is not going to help the, the, the politics in America. It's not going to help the Democratic Party. It's not going to help the Republican Party. And it just throws more mud into the mix that is not required. So, again, you, you, you can't, you know, just act with impunity, but... This is also a political process. It's a you know an elected prosecutor, which isn't a good look, and it's a problem. But yeah, this creates huge problems for for both parties. Yeah, but over from there. a journalistic point of view, Trump is the gift that keeps giving. That's for sure. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at nine a.m. on News Talk.